Hi, you're listening to the Amaze Research Podcast. I'm Fergus Murray. And I'm Sonny Hallett. And we're talking to Rachel Davis. Hi, um, I'm Rachel Davis. I'm a postdoc uh, researcher at the University of Edinburgh. And I'm doing a study that's looking at bilingualism and effects on cognition in children both with and without autism. I think the project came from the idea that within neurotypical research looking at bilingualism, there have been lots of studies to suggest that being bilingual could be beneficial for lots of different types of cognition. So, for example, this thing called executive function, which includes things like uh, being able to switch from one task to another, being able to kind of inhibit certain responses, and then also social and communicative skills and also language skills. And there's this idea that, yeah, growing up in this bilingual environment can kind of stimulate certain cognitive processes and be really positive even going into adulthood and one aim of this project is to see if that is also the same for children with autism so one reason for that is that we kind of know that the potential gains that you might be able to get from bilingualism happen to sort of overlap with some of the skills that are often associated with the difficulties that some autistic people might have. For example, task switching could be seen as one of those difficulties for some people. And yeah, so we want to look kind of over time and see if those kind of cognitive gains are seen in children with autism as well. So there's existing research to show that typically developing kids develop their executive function in terms of things like task switching if they are bilingual. Yes, so it's this idea that if you're bilingual that you may be even more proficient in those kind of areas. And there's not a huge body of research on on that, and um, particularly developmental kind of research. But what we are starting to see so far from that kind of research is yes, that it seems that it's most likely that the effects that you're seeing from being bilingual are almost all positive. And so that's why it's a really exciting idea to kind of look and see how that develops over time, not just children with autism but non-autistic children just to kind of get a better overall understanding of that area. And another kind of reason we're doing it is because previous research that was conducted from this lab had kind of interviews with um, parents of autistic children. The parents were bilingual and a lot of them were very concerned about raising their child in a bilingual household. And one of the reasons for that was a lot of them had been kind of told by clinicians that the best thing to do is to raise them monolingually because this idea that, you know, it could be overwhelming to be learning two languages and that kind of thing. And I think what we're finding so far is that's probably not the case. And also just in terms of going away from kind of cognition and just looking at kind of cultural identity and fitting with family and friends and, you know, kind of community things, it's kind of questionable whether it's really a good idea to go from your entire family speaking two languages and being involved in culturally as well just saying oh it's probably best for them to make sure that your child doesn't struggle just speak one language and kind of separate them from this whole identity they could be involved with or have so that's another reason we're looking at this mm-hmm. from a cognitive and a social perspective I guess. Mm-hmm. So what kind of form is your research taking? We are testing 188 children. Half of those children are going to have an autism diagnosis and the other half um, are not. They're going to be aged between 5 and 12. And um, at the moment, we're going to be seeing them at two time points. So we're going to be seeing them from about October onwards and then a year later. And those children are going to be ranging from kind of almost monolingual to bilingual. And we are going to be looking at uh, lots of cognitive assessments that will be in the form of one-to-one with a researcher, like doing lots of games and activities. And we're also doing some eye tracking. 
which will be just a different way of assessing those same kind of ideas. And we're going to be looking across language, social and communication skills, things like theory of mind, for example, all the executive functions like the task switching, and seeing how that changes across development based on bilingual exposure. Mm. And then we're also going to have uh, parental questionnaires, a parent interview, and maybe a child questionnaire to kind of talk about their experiences of bilingualism um, and how important it is to them and their kind of cultural identity and how they felt about whether or not they should raise their children bilingually and how the children also hopefully if we can develop that in time how they might feel also about their way they're growing up bilingually or I suppose monolingually to answer a lot of questions yeah mm. so there's kind of lots lots in there mm. um, so in a previous interview we talked with Beranger, Beranger yes. Yes. Uh, who was uh, who is studying bilingualism in autistic adults. Yes. Um, does her research and yours kind of overlap. overlap at all? Yeah. So she's focusing on kind of social and communication mm. um, and also I suppose being bilingual from a slightly different perspective. I guess, yeah, I suppose there is some overlap but what interests us kind of in a different way is maybe the development over time. If I could, I'd really like to look over more than two time points and keep seeing these children. Whether or not that will happen, I don't know. But I think, yeah, to me, the kind of important one of the most important questions, as I said from this research, is making sure that parents can make an informed decision and whether or not we find out that bilingualism is, you know, great for development or it doesn't make a difference or it's even negative. I think it's just important for parents and children to understand the implications of saying you can just stick to that one part of your kind of family life and growing up. Um, That's kind of the important part for me. And are you mainly looking at family languages then as opposed to sort of languages kids might be learning in other environments such as at school? So we're kind of looking at bilingualism as a very broad description so it could be parents at home I mean I'm focusing on that more about the question of deciding whether to bring your child up in that environment but if it's that they speak one language at school one language at home or if they have a really small percentage of their time is spent in this kind of with this other language that would still be bilingual to us it's kind of um, important in a in the same kind of way I think. Have you been able to involve autistic people in the design or direction of your research? So we have a kind of advisory group that includes uh, an autistic woman who is a teacher and she's also trilingual. It's very embarrassing, I'm only monolingual in this study. And then we have, amongst others, a parent of an autistic, also trilingual child. And the group's been really amazing, actually. So we've met twice so far. We kind of meet, we're going to be meeting every three months. So the study's been going for six months so far. Uh, So I go there with kind of anything ranging from really broad ideas so these are the questions I think are important do you think they're important and how best should we frame these and what should we be using to test these the best all the way down to the tiny things like uh, testing will take 25 minutes what do you think about this time frame and you know what would be the least stressful way to test people is it going to be really horrible to be having me for three hours going now we're doing this and this and this recruitment has also been kind of like how we're going to recruit and our inclusion criteria. So yeah, it's been a really, uh, like everything's changed. I go in the meeting and I'm like, this is what I think. And then by the end, it's completely, it's gone completely the other way. So it's it's great because I'm like, ah, it's not just me coming up with things now. It's actually just like, I'm much happier with the path it's going down after having these meetings, I think, getting different perspectives. How do you see the research benefiting autistic people? 
So I guess I kind of touched on it earlier. I, I think, again, from this kind of more social or family aspect, I think that's one important thing is, yeah, so giving parents this ability to make a decision that's not based on kind of semi-factual ideas. And just knowing that whatever you do to your child, it's going to be in their best interests and also it's not going to damage them. Like, you're not going to do anything to them. They're going to be perfectly fine. I guess it's getting that point across, I think, is really important. And also the idea that, you know, if bilingualism is this kind of natural way of boosting certain skills for all children, I mean, that's just exciting in itself. And I think particularly if it can help children who have certain uh, difficulties and um, with, you know, certain tasks or certain types of skills, if that was a way of kind of improving and helping children with skills like that, that would be really good too. But I'll have to let you know <laughs> what we find before I start saying that. Uh, am I right in thinking that your background is in neuroscience? No, so I did um, I did a cognitive neuroscience master's, but I mm. think that's quite deceiving in the kind of neuroscience side okay. of that. It's mostly been in psychology, really. Mm. So my PhD uh, was within autism research as well. Um, and that was with uh, the BASIS project, which is basically looking at um, infant siblings uh, of children who already have uh, autistic siblings and tracking development from the earliest ages to try and better understand the earliest kind of emerging autistic behaviours. And then once I finished my PhD, I saw this kind of opportunity to be in a lab that was very kind of pro-neurodiversity and celebrating. I've gone into a very different realm from being like computer simulations to back to intellectual humans, which has made me uh, much happier. <laughs> yeah, so. What attracted you to autism research? So when I was doing my master's, or just before that, I was looking for a teaching job. And I, I, on Gumtree, I saw an ad that said, would you like to be a champion for our little boy? And I was like, huh, this is an interesting ad. I should probably find out what this was. So I met this child and he was seven and basically he was autistic and his parents wanted someone who could be kind of a mentor to him outside of school, but then also help him within school, support his lesson time. And yeah, he's 18 now. So I guess it's been a long time. So he's kind of been my main, I don't know, I just loved working with him and I feel like he taught me a huge amount and it kind of grew from there really deciding to go into research to do a PhD and then carry on has kind of come from him I suppose not to sound too cheesy uh, but yeah I don't know working with him was really amazing um, and I suppose yeah my interest came from wanting to learn more about how I could support him in the best way possible so yeah I guess that was the kind of beginnings of it and that was about nine years ago. Where would you like to see autism research in general going in the future? Well, I suppose the thing I think about the most is, and I don't know exactly how this would work, but trying to kind of bridge the gap between the kind of research that maybe we would do here, like participatory research, and trying to bridge that gap between research that is kind of lab-based and more kind of basic science when I go to conferences, I find quite disheartening. It's like there should be two separate conferences going on, but they're under one roof, you know. Mm. I think that would be a very hard task, but I think it's important that the message of trying to at least bridge in some capacity those kind of projects, promoting participatory research is the most important thing, I think. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for talking to us. <laughs>